Hello everyone and welcome to Golden Walkman Magazine. My name is David Walker, bringing you the issue for September 2019. Uh, this is a, a short story by Connie Kinsey that uh, I really enjoy for a lot of different reasons. This, this story is interesting to me because there are times where you, where you read something or you hear uh, a story about something and you begin to sort of picture something in your mind based off your own lived experience that obviously wasn't the, the writer's intention, um, but nevertheless, it, it kind of makes makes it more real and immediate for you and it just adds that you know other layer uh of of meaning and that's kind of what happened with this story um it, it just it was such a relatable and it's such a a um honest and real story that that seemed to include the details that even though i wasn't alive during the time period of the story i felt like i could i could you know, picture myself in that moment. And I think that's just a testament to, to the writing, um, of Connie Kinsey. So, uh, I'm going to stop babbling and let's just get to the story. Um, secondhand smoke by Connie Kinsey. Really hope you enjoy it. My name is Connie Kinsey and this piece is titled secondhand smoke. Damn, I like men. I have always liked men. I am a certified daddy's girl. My daddy is the best man of all. He is pretty tickled with me. And I just assume that most men are more likely than not to be like him. My mama tells a story about the time I was three years old and hospitalized for bronchitis. I can't remember, but to hear her tell it, I couldn't wait for visiting hours to be over because that's when the corpsman would sit inside my oxygen tent and play Pocahontas Indian Princess with me. In those days, even parents had to observe visiting hours. Mama shakes her head now when she remembers how it never entered her head to fuss about that. So anyway, I like men a lot. The whole Indian princess thing must have stuck with me, even if the memory of the hospital didn't. Now, I'm not any more Indian than I am anything else, but I look more Indian than I do anything else. Everybody thinks my green eyes come from my mama's Irish people, but the only kin I have with green eyes come from my daddy's side, the same side that produced the genuine 100-proof Cherokee grandma. Of course, nobody talked about Mama being Cherokee until Indian got to be cool sometime in the late 60s. A couple of years later, I was 14 looking 20 and living in a town with 40,000 Marines, most of them still teenagers and either fretting about going to Nam or about what happened there. Skating at the rink was all the rage. I was on the speed skating team and taking all sorts of lessons. For dance, I was partnered up with somebody of the right size, finally, to get on with learning to do lifts. It was 1972, and a lot of those guys had seen some horrible things. Some of them drank, and a lot of them took up karate so as to feel like they had some control, but almost all of them smoked weed. A lot of the kids in my junior high smoked pot. I stuck to cigarettes. I was an officer's daughter and the teacher's pet. I was supposed to be too smart to fry my egghead, but I liked the kick of a nicotine rush. 
Both of my parents come from mostly poor white trash, but the Corps made my dad an officer and a gentleman. He said that a lot. I was just me. I wasn't all that different from the other girls in that time and place, even if I was an Indian princess who skated with the Max. It was the summer my dad quit smoking. It was quite a summer, but I remember that night best. A lot of stuff happened when I was young. Well, I don't have complete memories of it. I haven't blocked it out or anything, but most things I remember in snippets, freeze frames, not video, except for this. I remember this night. That song, Indian Nation, was popular, and I was pretty impressed with my newfound Indian blood. Between the leather headband and the turquoise jewelry, the Max took to calling me Pocahontas, which was just fine with me. It was hot. Hurricane season had just set in, and breathing was like trying to grow gills. There were these huge hangar fans that just roared. The Jackson 5 were rockin' robin and a volume guaranteed to blow eardrums when I decided I needed a fresh air and a cigarette. Back then, that wasn't a contradiction. Between the heat, the noise, and my sunburn, I was ready to jump out of my skin. Of course, we weren't supposed to go outside with our skates on, but mine weren't rentals. I skated over to the door, towed to a coast, and rolled into the dark. Walked on my toe steps to the guardrail and sat down. There was a guy about ten feet down in the shadows. About all I could see was the glow of his cigarette. I could hear him banging his skates against the edge of the sidewalk. It set my teeth on edge. The cigarette glow reminded me of my dad. I fished around in my bag for cigarettes but didn't find any. I was already irritated. I clomped over and sat down next to him. If Tim catches you banging those skates, he'll have a fit. He'll have to repack your bearings, and he hates repacking. Besides, you're not supposed to be out here with Reynolds. Can I bum a cigarette? He quit clanging his skates. I'm not afraid of Tim. You old enough to smoke? You old enough to kill? He dragged a cigarette out of his shirt pocket and handed it to me. In the flash of his zippo, I saw his face for the first time. He was simply beautiful. I was astonished. Even though a fan of men, I have never regarded one as beautiful. I hadn't even considered men could be beautiful. Handsome, rugged, cute, smart, tall, short, old, young, all of those I knew. But beautiful? I was already having trouble breathing when I noticed he was Indian. I'd never seen him around before. And I knew all the guys, at least by sight. What nation, I said. It was a line I'd heard in a movie. I thought it sounded cool and knowing and older, Indian, like I really was one. He looked at me. My eyes were adjusting so I could see pretty well by then. He was still beautiful, but details were coming into focus. His skin was perfect. He could have been the Cherokee Nation Noxima poster child. I had never seen a man with skin like that, like marble. There were no pores and not even the trace of razor stubble. I've seen baby butts less delicate than his skin. Of course he was dark. The North Carolina sun turns even the very fair dark. Years later, I saw Michelangelo's David and commented that, that old Mick got it wrong. The image of that man that night burned into my brain with the flash of a zippo. I'm Lakota, white girl. Don't call me white girl. What's your name? Fruitcake? Fruitcake? Yeah, my buddies call me Fruitcake. And you let them? I kind of like it. I couldn't think of a response. 
Fruitcake? I was already hopelessly in love with this guy and trying to turn the name Fruitcake into something cool. Stalling for time, I took a drag on the cigarette and about fell off the guardrail. I got so dizzy. Sometimes the kick will kick you. Fruitcake laughed for real. Fruitcake, white girl. When I rode it stateside, I took to drinking rum. My wisdom teeth were bothering me and my grandmother told me to chew on cloves. My buddy said I smelled like fruitcake. So how are your teeth now? How are your teeth? I could have died. I took another drag on the cigarette. The base dentist took them out. Now I'm just another dumb Mac. I don't think you're dumb. Oh, good grief, Charlie Brown. He laughed again. We both took drags on our cigarettes. Stateside, huh? Just back from Nam? A couple months. I finished 30 days with the family and shipped here a month ago. Yeah, I haven't seen you here before. It's my first time on skates. It was my turn to laugh. Is that why you're out here? I could show you how you know. Nah, it doesn't seem that difficult. All that noise gets to me after a while. I scrubbed my cigarette out. My breathing was starting to get somewhere near normal. Well, I'd like to skate with you sometime. We'll see, white girl. Don't call me that. Okay, so what's your name? Oh, God, no. The guys here call me Pocahontas. He about fell off the rail laughing. Big, hearty, deep belly laughs. I haven't laughed like that since R&R in Tokyo. We were all down at the... How come everybody that's been to Nam doesn't talk about anything but R&R? Maybe because nobody asked. Nuts. I didn't ask you about R&R in Tokyo either. He looked his index finger, made a sizzling sound, and drew a line in the air. One for you, little sister. So, what's it like in Vietnam? He didn't say anything for a long time. I could hear David Cassidy singing, I think I love you. I reached over and fished another cigarette out of his pocket. This time I got close enough to smell him. I used to think core regulations required English leather aftershave. It's the only thing my father ever wore and still wears. Fruitcake, though, smelled all of ivory soap and cloves. I couldn't detect any rum. While trying to grip a filter, I felt the beat of his heart. He leaned sideways, bumped into my shoulder, and stretched to drag the zippo out of his Levi's. My heart pounded and my hands got sweaty. Lighting my cigarette, he said, what's it like? Well, your feet and back are always wet. Before I could say anything, he jumps up all of a sudden, forgetting he's on skates. Arms windmilling, he finally gets control. It takes me way too long to realize my dad is standing there. I toss a cigarette behind me, hoping he didn't see, but knowing he did. Captain, sir. At ease, Marine, we're not in uniform. Sir, yes, sir, sir, I mean. Thank you, sir. Oh, daddy. And the guys wonder why I don't tell them my real name. It was the first time my dad had ever picked me up from the rink. Usually my mom did it. She's 14, you know. Sir, she's too young. I could have just died. I'll go get my shoes. See you at the car, pumpkin. Pumpkin, good grief. I turned to look at Fruitcake, but he wouldn't meet my eyes. I clomped back inside and started pawing through shoes looking for mine. By the time I got to the car, I was furious. Daddy! We drove in silence for a while. There's this desolate stretch of scrub pine between the skating rink and where we live. It feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. No man's land. North Carolina's very own DMZ. 
Here's where my memory starts freeze-framing. I can't remember what provoked me or if I just got lost in thought or what, but I heard myself say, Daddy, can I have a cigarette? No, you're too young to smoke. How old do you have to be? My heart was thundering. A lot older than you are now. Daddy, did you kill people in Vietnam? The car slowed and pulled to a stop on the shoulder. He lit a cigarette and started to hand it to me. Then he pulled it back and took a drag off of it. I don't think he noticed the kick. He threw it out the window, and then he threw the pack of palm oils after it. Hi, I'm Connie Kinsey. I'm a writer who lives in a converted barn in West Virginia. I've been there 32 years now. I've put down deep roots in this old barn, but I grew up a nomadic military brat. I went to something like five different elementary schools. You get used to people coming and going when you're a brat. One of the people who came and went a lot was my dad. As an officer in the Marine Corps, he did four tours of Vietnam. Of course, he had PTSD. He died three years ago, and I'm still mourning him. This story is about Vietnam, sort of. The narrator could be me, but is not. The Marine captain in the story could be my dad, but he's not. Fruitcake, the young Marine in the story, is an amalgamation of teenage Marines I met at the skating rink. This story is fiction. Never happened, but it could have. A friend of mine once said that some writers take their life experiences, smash them into tiny shards, and then put those shards back together to tell a different tale. I think that's what I do. The shards that are Vietnam or my Brad experience show up a lot in my work. The Vietnam era was a turning point for this country, and even though I was young, I think I knew at some level that I was living in interesting times. At the very least, it was interesting to me. When I learned that the average age of combat personnel in Vietnam was 19, something clicked for me. Yes, I was young while watching my dad come and go, but the men that surrounded me on the bases I lived on were 19 or so, living something that would haunt them for the rest of their lives. I think these experiences are worthy of my time as a writer. I'm currently working on a hybrid memoir of fact and fiction about my dad's and my experience with Vietnam. It's hard going. Wish me luck.